Instead of me saying, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, I, I let the world dictate how I thought, how I think, and, and how I talk. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. I took things into account as the way it was going to be instead of letting the word have the final say so. Listen, call those things that be not as though they were. The word of God should not return back to him void, but it's going to accomplish everything he sent it out to do. You're now in tune to the Heaven Bound broadcast with Pastor Richard D. Dobbs of Overcomers Christian Center in Villarica, Georgia. Now prepare to be empowered and equipped with the rich word of God. A disciple is a follower of Christ. They're faithful to the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We read scriptures like John 8 and 31. Let's go to John 8 and 31, which reads, Then Jesus said to those, who, to those Jews who believe him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you remain or continue in his word, the word of God, you are his disciples indeed. You are his learners. You are a pupil of Christ. Goes on to read in John 8 and 32, and you shall, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A disciple is also a person that demonstrates love to others in a manner that others can see it and recognize God's loving nature in us. John 13 and 35 reads as follows. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this by this all will know, all will understand and perceive that you are my disciples. You're following me. How do you know? Because you have love, you have affection, you have goodwill for one another. You want the best for others in life. See, it takes maturity to be a disciple of, disciple of Christ and a high level maturity to disciple others to Christ. We must be willing to deny ourselves. See, Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 16 and 24, words that probably challenged them as well as challenged us. Matthew 16, 24 reads as follows. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So notice Jesus spoke to his disciples, those who have been taught by him and they're still being taught by him. You know, one definition I had to understand about a disciple, not only are you being taught by God, but you have a mindset that I'm still going to be taught by God. Even in 2023, 2024, I will continue to be taught by God. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let one forget oneself and take up his cross, his personal punishment, his personal sacrifice, and follow me. See, it's important we know that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and commit to be, become a disciple of Christ. We must be prepared to grow up in him because discipleship is going to require, require that of us. We got to, as we see in this text here, we got to deny ourselves. We got to, we got to forget about ourselves. In a sense, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. We got to take up the cross, meaning I'm going to have to 
have my own trials, my own tribulations, my own problems that are sent to build character in me, sent to straighten my faith in God's written and revealed word. And then I've got to follow Jesus, got to walk with him, walk in his ways to be Christ minded. That is what we see in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. See, maturity has to do with me being fully developed and no longer thinking as what thinking in childish manners. It's a saying I'm I'm going to submit to being developed by Jesus. I am committed to being developed by Jesus. If you are disciples, if you claim to follow Jesus, you're saying I choose to be developed by Jesus. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm being developed by Jesus. And that to me is a mark of a disciple. Someone who has been developed by God but continues to be developed by God. See, maturity says that I've reached a certain stage in development, being able to carry myself the proper way. But also maturity says this, I know I haven't reached it yet. I must continue to be developed by the word of God and the ways of God. And see, mature disciples can be trusted to do things that others may not be, can be trusted to do. See, taking responsibility uh, is, is a sign of maturity. Like, for example, we, we take responsibility for the things that have been entrusted for us to do, regardless of if it's my fault or if it's not my fault, if it's my responsibility or if it's not my responsibility. I think about the house sometimes. You know, if you're in a household, it, listen, it's not about, you know, sometimes, I can say all the time, but sometimes it's not about certain things being done. It just, they got to be done. And you have to understand that when it comes to maturity, some things, they just have to be done. And the opposite of being mature is to be immature, at, to be childish or baby-like with baby-like behavior. See, an immature person lacks certain emotional and social skill as way they tend to have trouble relating, relating and connecting and working or being productive with people. Immature people always say, you know what, if it ain't working a certain way, I just can't do it. But mature people say, I'm going to work with this person in order to get it done. It's difficult to be an effective leader if I'm immature because I will have a hard time following instructions and being productive with others. See, maturity requires me to work on me. It's personal. And I'm saying, if I'm mature, I'm saying, hey, you know what? I'm not concerned about everybody else. I'm more concerned about am I getting right with God. I'm more concerned about is my prayer life developing? I'm more concerned is my study of scripture developing? I'm more concerned am I witnessing? I'm more concerned about am I doing what I need to do instead of blaming everybody else for stuff I know I need to do. Mm -hmm. And that's something we got to all think about and make a decision. Am I going to mature? Maturity requires, requires work on me. It's personal. I, I must submit to the developing. See, God would not make you do anything. He won't make you do anything. He will provide the opportunity for you to mature, but he won't make you mature. You have to make up in your mind, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to do better in my walk with Christ. I must want to grow up in God, grow up in God, as well as be responsible and accountable to God and the others that God has put in my life. I believe that many of us Christians have a desire to mature in our walk with God as well as dealing with everyday life. 
I believe we have this, many of us, of us in this sanctuary, we want to be mature Christians. I don't know of one person in this sanctuary that wants to be known as an immature Christian. But we must follow God's pathway and God's way of doing things when it comes to being a mature Christian. Want to approach life in a responsible manner that will benefit our families, our work, as well as our church. That's, therefore, Paul deals with immaturity in the, in, in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. While you're getting that, let me get you to think about this. God has certain assignments for us to carry out, certain possessions for us to obtain. We must be mature enough to the point that we can hear the instructions and execute the instructions given to us. And at times, the instructions might be given to us directly or indirectly. Yet, a mature person takes responsibility for their thinking, their talking, and their actions related to the instruction. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. The Bible reads as follows. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So notice what Paul said. This is personal to Paul. Because he understood childish behavior because he said, hey, you know what? I used to have childish behavior. And he says this, when I was a child, when I was a child, when I was untaught and unskilled, I spoke as a child. I used words to declare my mind, but when it came out, it was childish. I understood I had the same mind as a child. And I thought as I took things into account in a childish manner. But when I became, when I came into existence, a man, a mature Christian, I put away, I did away with childish behavior. And it was up to me in order to do that. I couldn't blame my sister. I couldn't blame my brother. I couldn't blame my family. I had to make up in my mind I was going to be mature. See, Paul is saying, saying, when I was a child, someone who was untaught in the word of God and the ways of God, I had certain traits and ways of doing things, despite my age, they came across as immature. When I was a child, untaught, un lacking understanding of God's written and revealed word, I spoke as a child. I don't know about you, but have you ever been around somebody, and after you talked to them, you, you thought, my God, I thought this person was grown. They are acting child. Notice, I spoke as a child. My conversation was one that spoke from my emotions, what I saw instead of speaking what the word said for that situation. You know somebody's immature. they always speaking what they see despite the word of God working on the inside of them and saying you got to call those things that be not as though they were. I understood as a child. My mindset was one of unbelief or more influenced by what, I was, what was going on in the world than what was going on spiritually. Instead of me saying, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, I, I let the world dictate how I thought, how I think, and, and how I talk. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. I took things into account 
as the way it was going to be instead of letting the word have the final say-so. Listen, call those things that be not as though they were. The word of God shall not return back to him void, but it's going to accomplish everything he set it out to do. I want to put on the mind of Christ. You got to think like Christ. And you can't think like the world, can't think like a childish individual. And when I made a decision to put away or do away with childish behavior, that is when I started to operate in godly maturity. I could be trusted to do certain things. And see, I understand this. Maturity is a process. Each time that I hear, understand, and apply his word, I position myself to allow the Holy Spirit to teach me how to grow and mature in him. In fact, I believe truly if you call yourself a mature Christian, you learn how to hear his word and apply his word in your everyday life. That's a sign of a mature Christian. A sign of an immature Christian will make excuses for hearing the word and then make excuses for applying the word. But we have mature Christians in the sanctuary. Now, the Hebrew writer reminds us of the importance of hearing and comprehending the word of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. The Hebrew writer reminds us that we need to hear the word of God, comprehend it, and put the word of God into action. So we see here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it reads as follows. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Notice this. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed, the more earnest, and give to a greater degree, and bring near to us the things we have heard. When the word of God comes forth, I need to be able to grab it and take heed to it. I need What I mean by take heed to it, I'm going to apply it and put it in my everyday life. If God tells me to pray, I'm going to pray. If God tells me to give, I'm going to give. If God tells me to love, I'm going to love. If God tells me to forgive, I'm going to forgive. Why? Because I'm taking heed. This word is more important than how I feel. This word is more important than what what I think about the circumstance or situation. This word is more important than me getting my way. Why? Because I'm taking an earnest heed to the things I have heard or comprehended, lest we drift away or it slips our mind. And I know me being uh, as young as I am, things have slipped my mind over the years. But one thing I don't want to slip my mind is the word of God. Listen, I may forget about somebody's anniversary, birthday. I may forget about somebody's, uh, somebody told me to do something, but I cannot forget the word of God. Why? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. Plus, God will make my enemies to be at peace with me. You get mad, but God can bring peace to our situation and to our circumstance. I just can't let the word slip away. That's how I make decisions. That's how I go through life. That's how I go through a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday. Why? With the word of God. See, it takes maturity to not drift away in our mind when it comes to thinking, talking, and making a decision based on God's word and not our feelings or emotion. In today's main text, we're going to be asked to look among uh, the, the disciples or the mature ones 
are going, the disciples, yeah, are going to be asked to look among their peers and recognize those that are following the teachings of Jesus and who could serve as leaders when it comes to tending to the needs of the people. Hallelujah. They're going to ask questions like, how many of you know that, uh, how many of you know, for example, that people have needs? A large number of people have a large number of needs. And we see this in the book of Acts chapter 4. Before we get to Acts chapter 6, let's go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 3. Acts chapter 4 and verse 3. The Bible reads as follows. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the, ne the next day. For it was already evening. Now, this is the time when, excuse me, Acts 4 and 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed, who heard the word believed. They just came out of a situation where they, those that put them in, they had put some in custody. But now in verse 4, how many of those who heard the word believed? And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. We see here the church has begun to grow. We see here that men that heard the word, they comprehended and understood the word, began to grow. They understood what was being taught in the word of God. They were able to comprehend and make connections to what was being taught, being preached, and so forth. They believed and placed confidence in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Their lives like ours are changing. For, their lives like our lives are changing for the better. And we see this happening in the book of Acts. And I want you to notice something that... <coughs> It, it almost will slip you, but I want you to take note to it because it's important to where we're going today. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. Does not include the women. Does not include the children. This was a large number of people that were added to the church. It was number, I mean, a large number. But it was interesting that the Bible uses the word men and not women which is kind of interesting to me, but we're gonna find, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, about that as we go into today's message. I want you to know this, though. The word works. We just have to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, influence us, so that we are skilled in presenting the word so that others uh, can receive it and put it into action. We have to strive to understand and make connections in the word of God in our personal lives so that others can mature in their walk with Christ. And as I mature and grow up in God, I'm better able to see the importance of daily keeping the word in my mouth, meditating on his word daily, meditating like, like we talked about last week. Listen, I'm going to meditate on his word day and night to make my way uh, and observe it, make my way prosperous and have good success. In order to remain a mature Christian, I must give more earnest heed to the things I hear and comprehend in the teachings from Sundays, Wednesdays, revivals, special service, and so forth. And notice this. In this particular verse, 5,000 men were added to the church. 5,000 men were added to the church. Not to mention women and children. Now, Let's go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 8, and then we'll go back and discuss it. Now, let me say this. When we go and we look, think about this. There's 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, that were added to this particular church. And so when you think about that, there are people that come in 
some going to be fine, and there's going to have others going to have needs in the church. There's others going to have needs. Now, let's read one through eight, then come back and talk about it. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, remember earlier we talked about that they added 5,000 men, did not mention anything about the women. So now I want you to look at this. The women have a need, especially the widows. And in verse 2, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, is it not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procris, Nicanor, Timon, Paramus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Verse 7, and the Lord, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, I want you to notice that this church was moving forward. They were going forward, and the number of the disciples was multiplied. It was increasing. It was abounding. There rose a complaint. Now, understand <clears throat> something about this. First of all, the disciples were those who are followers the teaching of Christ. So, they were evidently, some people had not quite got a hold of it yet, but some of them were on the way. Remember, there were 5,000 that were added to this particular church, not including the women and the children. So needs are going to rise up. Needs are going to rise up. And so now there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, scholars and theologians say that one of the reasons that it arose because of the way that they treated women in that particular day. They did, women were not allowed to own property and have things along that nature so they could support themselves. So they had to depend upon the church in order to take care of them. And so they were in a situation where their needs were not being met. And they were hungry. So can you imagine some, a widow, somebody who's lost a husband, but yet they it may or may not have children, but these children were getting hungry. These individuals were hungry. They were, had needs. There were some needs going on in the church there. Well, excuse me, not just in the church, but in these people's homes. But there was a daily distribution that used to go on, but the disciples had become so busy ministering to the 5,000, it was hard for them to... to uh, properly take care of the daily distribution. Everybody see where we're at so far? Now, we see in the text the number of disciples were increasing. This church had what I would call grow pains. They were in the midst of a growing number of disciples. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. As mentioned with large numbers, as mentioned before, with large number of people, we tend to see large number of needs. 
And at times when needs are not met, people tend to complain. Complaining has to do with murmuring, debating, and not feeling as though their needs are being met. Complaints can be a secret displeasure, not openly uh, observed or asserted, admitted or stated publicly. Sometimes people complain. They, sometimes they have what I would call a hidden complaint. They're complaining, but they're not telling anybody. They're upset, but they're not displaying. They're upset uh, in that situation with other people. And I truly believe what happened here, they were complaining. It may not have came out directly. Some may have came out, but some not may have came out indirectly. For example, you may see somebody complaining, and they may complain to their neighbor, but they may not complain to the group. They may complain to person A or person B, but they're not complaining to the group. Some people suffer in silence. Some people suffer in silence. They're going through something, but they don't tell anybody. You ask them what's wrong, they say, I'm okay. When in reality, they are suffering in silence. They complain. They, uh, they complain. The reason for the complaining was because the widows, those lacking their husband that passed away, were neglected. They were overlooked and disregarded in the daily distribution. People who feel overlooked tend to feel not seen. They seem to be unnoticed and ignored. They feel that way. They feel overlooked. They tend to feel unloved and uncared for. And you could tell, you could probably tell by their attitude and their demeanor. No doubt the needs of the people become a concern for the 12 and, like, and likely distracting them from studying, preparing, and teaching the word of God. Because they, they wanted to make sure that the widows were taken care of, but they could not take care of the widows and stay in the word of God in prayer all at the same time. Because evidently, it was a large number of people that took time. Can you imagine you wake up in the morning, you taking out food to different folks and, and taking out and they're making sure by the time end of the day, if you got time, you might be just wore out, being dry. Imagine you go out the sun like it is out here right now. That, that sun be beaming down. The humidity be thick. You just walk out like you cut it with a knife. Imagine going out and going from house to house. Sometimes I, I've been in a situation where I've, because a lot of times I park in the back of a parking lot. By the time I get to my car, I'm sweating just from walking out the store to my parking lot. Can you imagine going from house to house? They probably have air conditioning like some of y'all got in y'all car. And, you know, by the time you get, you, you know, we turn the car on and let it sit for a second before we leave because we want to make sure that air blowing out good. They didn't have that back then. They had to go from house to house. Can you see the needs of the people? And the widows, they complain. So the 12 were in a dilemma. They were in a predicament. They knew they had to continue to preach and teach the word of God because God had appointed them to do so. They also saw how God's word was having an effect on people and lives were being changed for the better. Because remember, the disciples were being added. They were just added. They were coming in. There were 5,000 in. They may have started out with 100 disciples. Then there were 200 disciples, 300 disciples, 400 disciples. They were just becoming followers and learners of Christ. They were committed, but the, the 12... They were committed to feeding people knowledge and understanding to meet their spiritual as well as natural needs. The apostle situation was that a great number of people had a great number of natural needs that they were not able to tend to and be effective in their assignment. The apostles had to make a decision. Would they help the people 
or keep them from getting distracted from their calling. Now, let me say this here on a personal note. I understand exactly what they're dealing with. Because you can have stuff to come up. You say, I need to do this and I need to do that. But I had to learn over the years, I got to get back to my main assignment, which is feeding sheep, knowledge and understanding. That's what God paid me for. Notice I said God paid me for. If I didn't feed you knowledge and understanding, I know he wouldn't take care of me like he do and bless me like he do. I got to make sure I feed you knowledge and understanding and continue to pray and seek his face concerning this ministry. And there's a lot of needs out there. I get requests all the time to do stuff. But some, I had to learn how to tell people no. And I'm telling you, I had to tell my own family no sometimes. It wasn't pretty. But hey, this is life. If I did not feed sheep knowledge and understanding, God would not take care of me like he do. So when it comes to that, but needs are still needs. Needs are still needs. Everybody say needs are still needs. I want you to understand that. Needs are still needs. People still need you. These women, widows, needed his help. They need his help. So the 12, verse 2, then the 12 summoned and called the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable or pleasing or agreeable that we should leave or forsake or abandon the word of God and serve tables. Serve means I'm going to wait on others. Tables, I'm going to supply the food necessary for y'all. See, the 12 had to lay out the dilemma to the multitude. It was not wise that they should leave or forsake the word of God to, be, to do a noble and honorable task. This was something good, y'all. This was something that was needful and necessary. Why? Because widows were getting hungry. I can imagine widows' children were getting hungry, too. And hungry will make you do some crazy stuff in your life. Hungry will have you cooking stuff you ain't cooked in a long time. Too. Hungry will make you say, I know I said I wasn't going to eat this right here. But I'm hungry now. I'm going to cook this right here. Sometimes you eat leftovers. You say, I'm not going to eat that leftover. But you're hungry enough. You'll put, to put that leftover from, and put it in the microwave so you won't eat it. I've been there. I know exactly what that means. I know exactly what that means. The widows were need, had needs, I should say. The 12 could not abandon and forsake studying, praying, and preaching and teaching to supply food to those in need. In my mind, they were saying if we're going to continue to seek the face of God for a word of God for the people, they're going to need help with other dues and responsibilities in the church. See, it takes mature followers in Christ and being able to tend to the needs of the people in a manner that represents the nature and the character of Christ. So the apostles saw the maturity and the multitude of the disciples and charged them with a great responsibility. They require them to be able to think, talk, and make decisions with a Christ-minded and progressive mindset. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brother, seek out from among seven men of good reputation. Therefore, brother, seek. Inspect and examine with your eyes. Look out in the midst. But find seven men. Now, when we think about that, we have, we have to follow the guidelines of the scripture. You want seven men of good reputation. They had evidence of godly character. They were full or complete with the Holy Spirit. 
and they had wisdom. They were skilled in the management of affairs, very knowledge of things human and divine. Who, were, who we may appoint are set in place over this business. See, the 12 apostles instructed the multitude, seek out from among them seven men. So they said, I'm looking for people, I'm looking for you in the congregation, you disciples, to look among yourself and find seven men. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to have wisdom. I want them to be have a reputation, reputation of a good reputation, I should say, a good reputation. He gave them specific things to look for in this thing. Once they inspected and studied the men carefully, they were going to bring them back to the 12. But in the meantime, these three traits they were looking for. Three traits of men were to be appointed over God's church business. Good reputation. Evidence of good, godly character. They were full of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they were led by the Holy Spirit. Not just having the Holy Spirit, but they're led by the Holy Spirit. And wisdom, skilled in the word of God, as well as able to work with people and the management business, manage business affairs on the natural and spiritual levels. The apostles no doubt knew they had been teaching the disciples to say, you know what to do. You know what to look for. If I tell you to look for these people with these traits, I want you to look out for them all. Don't go by, hey, I like this person. I don't like this person. See, immature folks will go off script. They'll say, hey, I owe you a favor. I got a position open. I, I, I got your back, brother. I'll, let me hook you up. No, that's not what mature folks do. They gonna, mature folks going to follow the script. They're going to follow the script. They're not going to put people in position because of a favor. They're not, they're they're not going to forget what the Holy Spirit has laid out from the apostles. See, when the Holy Spirit stirs leadership to charge us with a certain responsibility and task, we see it's important for scriptures like Joshua 1 and 8 to be in our thinking, talking, and action. Last week, we focused on Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, how is a plan, our plan of prosperity for us? Joshua 1 and 8 reads as follows. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You remember last week, God's plan of prosperity? This book of the law, the direction, the direction, the instruction, and the teaching from the word of God shall not depart or be removed from your mouth. You're speaking life based on the word of God. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We're speaking life. We're speaking life. But that life means we're going to meditate in his word day and night. We're going to ponder it. We're going to imagine it. We're going to study it. We're going to study his word day and night. We said, Pastor Dobbs, I, I, I didn't study day and night. Repent and get back and start studying again. I don't know about you. You ever studied something? You just had to take a break for a moment. You said, man, let me take a break for a minute. Took a break. But I go back and I go study. Because why? Sometimes I need a mental break, whatever it is. But you know, when it comes to the word of God, we got to study it day and night. Study it day and night. Let me tell you, your life will be better when you study it day and night. When you study it day and night, you can observe or keep or guard. And then you're able to do it. You're able to guard the word that's in your heart. Then you're able to do it, execute it and perform according to what is written in it. But then you will make your way prosperous. 
You're going to cause and bring success. You're going to be prosperous and have good success. You're going to succeed. You're going to have good success. You're going to have prosperity. And things are going to work out for your good. Why? Because you love God. You're meditating on his word day and night. You're thinking about it day and night. And see, we as believers strive to follow the scripture daily. I believe that it, it will help us to grow in our faith in God and grow in exemplifying his character in our lives. And the more we know and understand his word, the more we're able to know and understand him and make decisions like him. See, it, they put themselves in a position when they're thinking about the word day and night. They can be in a position where they can choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit. They can choose men who are of good reputation. They can choose men, I mean, that are full of the Holy Spirit. They can choose the ones who God wants them to choose. Therefore, when you're choosing, though, you're going to need the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 and 5 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we're going to choose people, we got we need the mind of Christ. And let me say this to you. Not only do you need the mind of Christ and choosing like he wants, but you need the mind of Christ when you make daily decisions. When you go out and deal with life, when you deal with your work, when you deal with your home, when you deal with family, you need the mind of Christ. Don't just make it one area. You, like, you need the mind of Christ in every area of your life. When you go shopping, we need the mind of Christ. When we go out to eat, we need the mind of Christ. When we deal with everyday life, we need the mind of Christ. Everyday life, you need the mind of Christ. I don't know how people do it without the mind of Christ, to be honest with you. So when we have the mind of Christ in, in our decision-making, ministry many times will help us it will help us when we do what God instructed us to do. See, this, this decision was critical for the ministry to move forward. Remember, they, they were, 5,000 people were added. But all of a sudden, they stopped going forward. Because why? A complaint arose. And evidently, it was a legitimate complaint because it has made the chronicles of the word of God. And so it was so legitimate that God instituted a plan indirectly through the 12. He said, I got to solve this problem because this is an issue. This issue not only is affecting this church that we're reading about, but it affects churches all over his body. It affects other churches as well. But he says, listen, I need men who are of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So the multitudes will have to spend time with other believers. How are they going to choose them? They just can't go by what they think. They got to go spend time with other believers. You know what else they got to do? They got to talk to them. They got to get to know them. Know them that labor among you. They need to share the word with others. Become familiar with each other's testimony. In other words, I need to get to know you on a level and say, hey, can I choose this person here? Can I choose this person here? I heard you might be a good candidate for what God has laid out before us. Not only do we need to look in that area, we need to look in other areas as well. We need to look in areas such as ushers, helps ministry, praisers, singers. We need to look in other areas, men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry. Hey, I heard you will be a good candidate for doing this, that, and the other. 
Well, pastor hasn't tapped me on the shoulder. Notice the text here. He used the disciples, the followers of Christ, the ones who've been taught to find out, find men in the midst. And so when they found them, they look for woes of a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and have wisdom that comes from God. They, these people you can't go by. They had to make some decisions. They say, hey, the Lord's leading me to talk to this person right here. I think you'd be a good candidate for this definite role. I got to move past my shyness. I got to, I got, this may be an awkward conversation, but I got to get to know you. I go, I may go up to somebody I may not even know. Why? 5,000 people were at it, y'all. I'm sure that not everybody knew everybody. There was some people that came out that you may have talked to, but you had to make that decision. I got to get to know this person. And notice, it wasn't the 12 that chose. It was the disciples, the multitudes. They had to be mature in order to make the decision. They had to be mature. See, the apostles wanted the disciples to pay attention to the reputation of the men, their good name and their, and their belief. What, see, what is their reputation when it comes to take care of business? Person A, we got person A before us. What's their reputation for taking care of business? Do they enjoy doing what they do? Do they put forth a good effort, even if it's not their project? You know, some people are good as long as it's their project, but they're not good when it's somebody else's project. I don't want to do it because it ain't my project. Man, please. We're in this thing together, y'all. We're in this together. Well, I don't like their attitude. They may not like yours neither, but, hey, we're working this thing together. You, in the church, you got to learn how to work around and through people's attitude and mindset. That's just part of it. Let me give you the great example I know. Jesus worked with our attitude all the time. Thank y'all for the four amens of him. You, can, you ain't got to look at me funny. You want to. God worked with your attitude, and he know your attitude. He know what you're thinking while you're sitting there looking at somebody. He know exactly what you're thinking, and he still worked with you. And you know, if, you, if God will work with you, you ought to have mercy and grace and work with other people as well. Do they work well with others? Do they work in excellence? Do they work as unto the Lord and not to impress others? How's the attitude in the project? All this comes up when you're dealing with the reputation. But notice what they said in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, prayer, asking God to get involved. One of the greatest things I can do for you is ask God to get involved in your situation. This is what I know. I don't have to know what your situation is. I just have to ask God to get involved in it. Many times when I'm praying, if your name come up, what am I praying? God, get involved with so-and-so. Get involved with Brother A. Get involved with Sister B. Get involved. You, well, what they dealing with? I don't need to know. I'm not that nose of a person. If you don't tell me and if God don't reveal it to me, I ain't got to know. But you know what? I will pray for you, though. I pray for you, and I know if I ask God to get involved, hey, it's on then. It's on. But you got the word working for you, though. Because why? All things are working together for your good. Because you love God and called according to his purpose. Let me say this to you. When I ask God to get involved, you can look for better to take place in your life. You may not like the way he does it, but I'm asking God to get involved. One great thing you're going to know about this church right here, I'm going to pray for you. I am going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Well, Pastor, I didn't ask you to pray for me. You ain't got to ask me. If you're involved, if you're showing up, I'm going to pray for you. Why? That's my responsibility. Not to you, but to him on your behalf. 
is to pray. Notice what they said. I'm going to give myself to prayer and to ministry of the word of God. Those now Ministry is this. Those who prepare and present and execute, execute the commands of another. I'm going to I'm going to execute the commands of another. I'm going to prepare and present to you what I believe thus saith the Lord. Two main assignments I have. Prayer and ministry of the word of God. Now, let's see the response. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. It pleased them. It caused agreement between the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen. They picked out Stephen. But know Stephen's characteristics or traits. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Not only that, Philip, Procrius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and proselyte from Antioch. I may be butchering the name, but that's as close as I can get it this morning. The thing is, he, they chose. They chose. I wonder, did they say, once they chose him, did they say, hey, you know what? I don't think I want to do it. Now, some people, they get chosen. They say, eh, I don't want to do it. But notice, it wasn't the 12 that chose him. It was the ones among them. I think you would be a good fit for what we need. Good fit. The 12 gave us the, the, the parameters. And so we're choosing men based on these parameters. And believe me, these individuals was the one they chose. Was the one they chose. But you know what? One thing I learned, the multitude had to mature. Excuse me. They had to mature. And then after they chose them, verse 6 says this. They set or established before whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. The laid hands mean they were controlling their destinies or propelling, propelling them into their destiny. Hey, now you got permission to go out and do what we called you to do. See, sometimes when people get chose, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be ones that's going to do it. If the apostles didn't agree with it, it wouldn't happen. But the apostles agreed with this particular cho these choices. Because it, it see, this is what, what's going to happen here. It helps both parties. It helps the multitude. It helps the 12. 12 go back and do what they need to do, minister the word of God in prayer. It helped the hit. The, now, notice this. It helped the widows get their needs met. That was the issue. Widows were going through, y'all. They were going through. If the seven didn't want to do it, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? But now, one thing I thought about before I go to verse 7, they're able to move forward. They're able to move forward. Because now, they were in a position where they had to slow down because there were needs being met, but now they can move forward. See, when the seven uh, were chosen and they were approved by the apostles, now the ministry can move forward. Because notice, they were, I ain't going to say they were stopped, but they were slowed down. They were slowed down. This is when, this is when, what am I saying here? When you're chosen to do something, it's a need. It's a need. 
somebody tap you on the shoulder, hey, I think you'll be good at this position right here. It's a need. And when you meet the need, the ministry can move forward. If we're going to be a forward-minded ministry, we got to find out what's stopping or hindering us from moving forward. Just like they identify here in this church, we have to identify here in this church. And then once we identify, we need to be mature enough to look out from among us, find somebody to help meet that need, so in turn, the ministry can move forward. Verse 7. Then the word of God, notice, the word of God spread. It increased. Notice, when the need was met, the word of God spread. It increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great men of the priests were obedient or submitted to the faith. Notice how the ministry grew when that need was met. What if they tap you on the shoulder? Can you do me a favor? I know you can't reach everybody, but tap yourself on the shoulder. What if that's your time that God's saying, I need for you to do this on my behalf? What is the God calling you to do something? Then, then those when they chose Stephen, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Notice Stephen full or complete of faith, his belief in Jesus and power and strength, godly strength, did great. Notice not just any wonders, not just any miracles, but great miracles. And not only that, signs, unusual occurrence among the people. Stephen, he was, notice he was picked from the original seven, but when he was picked, whoo, glory be to God, he did great wonders and signs among the people. But you know what? Before he got chosen, he had to have a mature. Disciples had to be mature to the point that they could choose the seven individuals that the Lord wanted for that group. And when a multitude of mature disciples hear and obey godly instructions, the needs of the people are met. Remember, the widow woman, the widows, their needs were met. Now, they got seven men that could go out and meet the needs of the people. And so uh, the needs of the widows, especially, because the needs of the widows was what we're talking about here today. And so they went out and met them. But not only did, did that happen, they also did great wonders and signs, at least Stephen did, an unusual occurrence among the people. And you will see and I believe truly, if we do it like the Bible says, we'll see the manifestation of great things happen. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's message. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your prayer requests and testimonies to our website at OCCVR.org. That's OCCVR.org. We would like to invite you to partner with us as we share the gospel all around the world. Just go to our website at OCCVR.org. Click on the Give button to give online. Or you can utilize text to give Text GIVE to the number 770-692-2225. That's 770-692-2225. Join us on our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast, and connect with us on social media. We also invite you to join us in a live service. We're located at 3097 
South Van Wert Road in Villarica, Georgia. Visit our website for more details at OCCVR.org. Until next time, remember, without a vision, the people perish. See you next time for more Heaven Bound with Pastor Richard D. Dobbs of Overcomers Christian Center in Villarica, Georgia.